it's just true, isn't it? You know, oh my gosh, it's so good. So moms, thank you. Hey, I'm going to dive in this morning. We've been talking uh, for the last couple of, uh, really for the last uh, several months about this, this real life that God is leading us to, right? This idea that there's a destination that he's taking us to, kind of an image that he's, he has in mind that he is moving us towards. And we call it our real life. And in the context of our real life, we said our real life is defined by two things. By being who God created us to be and then doing what God's called us to do, right? Being who God's created us to be in relationship with him, relationship with others, and then doing what he's called us to do. And we've been looking at this na- the, the nature of our lives then as being those that are doing things, that was, as followers of Jesus, that our lives are active in nature, that there are, that, like, like moms who live in the context of selflessness, right? That, that, that we are all living our lives that way in the context of everyday life. That our lives are supposed to be marked by the things, the good works that we are doing on behalf, not ourselves, right, but on behalf of others who, who are in need. So we've been talking about this. And the idea about the, the doing that we are about doing is it's in the context of, of two groups. We have, and, and I would say this, it's those outside of the family and those inside of the family, right? There's two places, outside of the family and inside of the family. As we talk about uh, the church this morning and talking about this, this group that we represent, I want us to be unafraid to use the word family. I had a, a professor of mine in seminary say one time, and, and he and I got into a, a somewhat of a, it wasn't a heated argument, but it was a very animated discussion together after class. Uh, he said, pastors, when you're in church, never use the word family to describe your church. He said the reason being is because people bring such negative connotations and experiences from family into that setting that you use that word and they automatically disconnect. And I went to him and said, I disagree with you on every level. I said, but I understand. And so I've committed then for Vintage and every church I've been a part of and will be forever to not do away with the word family, but to redeem it. Because when you look at Scripture, it's very clear when you look at it that the desire and the heart of God and the thing that he celebrates is the context and the beauty of family. One of my favorite verses, I have lots in Scripture, right? But one of my favorite verses is Psalm chapter 68, verse 5 through the first, and, and through the first half of verse 6. And it says this, about God, a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. If there's a vote of confidence for this this entity that God has created in family, it's right here. God doesn't say, I put them in random places. I put them on a ball team. I put them on in a job. He says, I put them in family. And I want you to recognize here the sensitivity of God as it relates to his understanding of humanity that we are not created to be alone. Like he looks at each of us and says, you are not created to be alone. And here's the thing about people I recognize is that some people like having 50 friends and some people are content with just one person. 
But regardless of which, there's still this longing in the heart of every human being and a desire to 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 love and to be loved, to be connected, to be in a family, to be somehow in relationship with others who know so that they also can be known. We see God. I want to put the lonely in families throughout Scripture again and again. We see God speaking about about his children. He calls us again and again sons and daughters, right? Creating a clear understanding that he he is an advocate for this unit of family. We see it in Romans chapter eight. It's a, a, a scripture that I love in the context of chapter six, seven, eight and nine. There's all sorts of people in theology world who like to discuss is this. Is God, is he about free will? Is he, is he reformed? All this kind of reformed Arminian theology and these, these verses and these chapters kind of all in the middle of it. But what gets lost sometimes in an argument about theology is just the simple truths that God makes in Scripture. And I want to look at this at one verse. I want to pull it out. I'm okay with doing it, putting it in context of family. It says this, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as children by which we cry out, Abba, Father. I want to read it again. It's language you don't use every day, but I want you to read it as if because you understand all these words, okay? For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as children by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What I want you to see very clearly in this in this verse is that Paul is speaking about the nature of God's heart and his relationship to humanity, to to every single one of us. And the idea is he looks down and says, I don't want you to view yourselves as slaves, but I want you to view yourselves as sons and daughters. And sons and daughters are always in the context of family, right? There's a father unit. There is a, a mother unit here, right? You have this context of a father and mother and this idea of being in family. Making it very clear. I'll make a, just a real clear theological delineation this morning for you. I'm basically, I'm saying, let me make something clear about God. That's all I'm saying. Something clear about God. In the beginning, God created man. Man was incomplete in himself, so he created from man, woman. That's all it means. Man and from man. And the two, right? The one became two. We later, in chapter 3, after they fall, we call them Adam and Eve. But before, they were just man and from man. Basically meaning this. Man is the full expression of the image of God. And when God pulled out from man, from man, and made two, he said, here are the two parts of myself. That's why it's imperative the two shall come back and become one. Because apart from one of the, apart from just having one without the other, you have an incomplete view of who God is. So we celebrate man. And from man, woman, right? Man and woman, right? We celebrate both them, both being the expression of God. Do you know that Scripture calls basically God father and mother? 
He has both expressions in the book of Isaiah. It says, it says God is like a mother at childbirth, having this incredible moment of giving birth. Several of the places God is described as mother. So this morning as we come in, don't get, don't get all bent out of shape. Yes, God is Father, okay, I get that. But the idea is that God is not defined by any sexual orientation. You know that, right? And so when you see the full expression of God, you find Him, right? You find God, His full expression of man and from man. So when we come this morning and we're talking about family, I want you to have this understanding of the father heart and the mother heart of God. And then when he comes, as I said, the lonely in family, he's the full expression of himself as father and mother, loving us completely. I don't know about you, but my dad loved me in a completely different way than my mom did. And most of the time I preferred mom's, mom's way, right? There's this beautiful part of God expressed in the life of father and mother. He expresses both of these. And so when he comes and says, I did not give you a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. What we're getting at is this. And this is for us to really realize this morning about how you relate to God. Do you relate to God primarily as a slave? That you're afraid of what he's going to think. You're afraid of not producing enough for him. You're afraid of what he's going to think. You're afraid he's going to be unhappy with you. You always think he has a scowl on his face. You always think that he's upset with you, that you're never quite measuring up. That's slavery. I don't, I've never been a slave, but I've watched enough television shows with enough books that when a slave master comes in, the slave begins to act differently, making sure they do everything that the slave master wants them to do, afraid of how they're going to respond, afraid of how they're going to react. They just live in fear. Whereas the spirit of adoption means that I've been brought into the family and now made as one who, might, who it's, it's as good as a natural born child. That's the story, that's the picture of adoption in the New Testament all the way throughout Jewish history is that an adopted son or daughter was one who literally, they were literally removed. The idea is you push aside your old life, you are given a new one, and everything that you, and everything that belongs to a natural son or daughter now belongs to you and you have all of their rights. There's no separation, there's no difference. And so we had this spiritual adoption and that we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Is this, this, like, you know how for each of you when you had with your, your dad or if you didn't have a dad or someone you were close to, you had, like, you would say their name affectionately. You just say it differently. Like, I love when our girls come to around and say, Mama. Like, they just catch, they don't, they don't do it on purpose. They just, like, in the moments when they're feeling really tender and really um, sensitive and really affectionate, they call her mama. Like, I just think that's awesome. Every time they do it, I just see them as small, small, like a small child again. It's beautiful. You know what I'm getting at? Like, it's just this, oh, it's so rich and so good. Abba, Father. We live in this place. John Piper says this. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to change our slavish fears towards God to confident, happy, peaceful affection for and from God as our Father. Read that again. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to change our fear of slavery, right? Our slavish fears towards God. And instead, to have this confident, happy, peaceful 
sense of his affection for us and is expressing affection to him. So press pause. Which one defines your relationship with God? Slavery or sonship and daughtership? Which one? Unfortunately, most people who grow up in church have a slavery mentality of Jesus. Like, I don't know how hard you've had to fight, but I've had to fight for about 10 years. Fight for 10 years to die to the slavery mentality, thinking God was always unhappy with me and always frustrated and always letting me know I was never measuring up and doing enough and, being, and making him happy. I had to fight for it. I still do. Greg Ogden says this, and as I read it, I want you to put yourself in this place of like, where am I with God? As adopted children, as adopted children, we're all adopted in the family of God with the rights of God, right? As adopted children, I want you to hear this. We can enjoy the same favor that Jesus has with the Father. We could just say amen and go home on that, couldn't we? It just seems too good to be true. But it is. It's adopted children. We can enjoy the same favor that Jesus has with the Father. We, too, are the apple of God's eye, the pleasure of his love, the delight of his focus. And if we didn't get all that we wanted or needed in our human fathers, we are invited even more deeply into the pleasures the Father of heaven and earth takes in his Son and us. We have been included in the family and hear the Father say, You are my child, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. We now have the Father we always needed and wanted. So let's just press pause this morning. And I want to pray for us. Because in this tension between sonship and daughtership and slavery... We live with great tension because this right here is not our everyday reality. And I don't know about you, but if my children did not know that I felt this way about them, this could be true, then that would break my heart. Just as I believe it breaks the Father's heart that you don't know that about Him. And all I can do for you is pray. And so if you'd like me to pray for you, I just encourage you to put your hands up like this. I would encourage all of you to do it, to encourage others who may be afraid to do it, to put your hands up like this. And I simply want to pray this reality of sonship and daughtership from the father-mother heart of God to you so you can know his delight and his pleasure in you. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and do the work that Jesus has said is true. That you would come and speak this word into our heart. Jesus, we invite you. Flood us with your presence. Would you come and break the spirit of slavery that we live under? And God, we want to live under the spirit of adoption. The spirit of being your son and your daughter. We want to, we want to rest, God, in the fullness of your love for us. God, we want to be confident and happy and peace-filled. God, we want to know your affection for us. And God, we want to fully express our affection. God, we want to, every wall to be broken down that hinders us from knowing you, loving you, and being loved by you. Jesus, right now, I cry out and ask for the spirit of adoption to be birthed in our hearts and to walk in the reality of it. Father, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So God desires 
to bring us into this level of family, right? He longs to, to move us into this place, this adopted family, to bring us into the, to the fullness of his father's heart, the fullness of his mother's heart for us, right? He longs to express his love for us as our parent. But the nature, here's the thing. So we love that. We love at least the theology and the idea of it and the desire for it, right? But here's the thing I want you to understand this morning. When we talk about being in the family of God, I want you to recognize that the family of God is not just Jesus and me. It's not just Jesus and me. We don't have our own little individualized spiritual nuclear family, right? Of like Heavenly Father, Heavenly Brother Jesus, Weird Uncle, Holy Spirit, and a dog, right? We don't have that going on. But we live our lives like with this individual thing, family going on with God, because we live in our church setting and we have this like personal relationship with Jesus, but we never relate to the other people around us as if they are our, our brothers and sisters. We don't live in the context, right, of, of the heavenly family of God, that he is father, mother, brother, to us, and that we are one big, massive family. We live very individualized in our relationship to him, disconnected from everyone around us. One of the pictures I had in doing this was, a, uh, some, those of you who knew, we, were, we support a missionary in India by the name of Tammy Hutchins. She's one of our best friends. She's been there since 1999 doing this children's home. And so back in 2001, 2002, she called me one day. She's like, hey, you know, I trust you. Would you mind doing some training for other short-term teams that come over and help them to not be idiots when they get here? How do you know it's very difficult for missionaries to handle Americans coming in because we know all the answers, right? And so I started doing that. I would sit down and I begin to train these teams that were going. The first thing, one of the very first things that I would say to them is this. Listen, you're not going to an orphanage. Even though all of these kids' parents, earthly parents have died, you're not going to an orphanage. This is a home. They have Jesus as their dad. Tammy is their mom. They have lots of like spiritual brothers and sisters they relate to. And they have a dog. And so you step into this home. That's what you have. These kids, they relate to Jesus as their father. Literally sitting down, having a conversation with him. I mean, I've told the story, but I'm going to tell it again for those of you who are new, because you could hear it at least once every three months. Kidden, the oldest boy, he's, he was a part of a, a state-run home, and he was sexually assaulted again and again and again in his home, and he completely repressed all of those memories. When he was 14, 15 years old, he wakes up one morning and remembers everything. And he freaks out, like all of us would. He comes to Tammy like he's just seen a ghost, and he just starts spilling his heart out to sharing his memories, and she's weeping. She's, she's just undone. She's angry for him. She's sad. She's undone, right? And she then emails us. We're the, I think we were in Omaha or Orlando at the time, and she emails us, guys, I don't know what to do. And so I just, I don't know what to say, so I just begin praying. 
eight, see about 12 hours later, breakfast is being served that morning. And we get an email later. She, says, she tells us the whole story. She said, Kidden came down this morning and looked at me with a smile in his eyes. Got his food and started walking off. I looked at him. I said, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm great. What do you mean you're great? Jesus is taking care of everything. She said, what do you mean? And so they sat down. And he said, well, last night I left talking to you. I went to sit down on my bed. Sit down on my bed. And he said, I was just crying out to God. And all of a sudden, the door physically opened. Jesus came in, sat down on my bed with me, looked me in the eyes, and touched my heart. And said, son, I give you a new heart. And immediately, he said, I was set free and healed. See, our Heavenly Father brings us into family for the purpose not of making us a slave, but for loving us. Kiran actually was a part of an unreached people group in the northern part of India. And he now is giving his life full time to his village that he grew up in, who'd never heard the name Jesus before. And he gets to be the bearer of the good news. That should make you excited. Why? Well, we're excited about Kidan. That's so great that God did that. He does that for us. He takes the lonely. He sets them in family, not an individual nuclear relationship with Jesus. Nuclear family, right? Just the mother, father, brothers, and sisters, a dog in a back porch, no front porch for friends to sit on, right? No, it's the family of God, all of us together, like Karubahum, encouraging, praying, believing for God. Arjun ran away. And the kids begin to fast from like six years old to like 18. They're fasting and they're praying because their brother, who's not a blood brother, who is a spiritual brother, has run away. And they don't know what to do. They fast and they pray for days. You see, God brings the lonely and he puts them in a family. And I want you to hear me say that each of us who are part of the family of God have a responsibility with how we relate to one another. And that we must do good works for everyone that we are around because they are our spiritual brothers and sisters, part of one family. We've been looking at it last week. We looked at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good or good works, for at the proper time we reap a harvest. We do not give up, right? So Paul is coming and saying, listen, don't grow weary in doing good, which is connected to Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, right? We've looked at this. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for us to do. We are people who are called to do what God has called us to do in the context of the life that we live, both outside of the family, but also inside of our family. And it goes on here in verse 10 of Galatians 6. It says, therefore, pointing back to the very first verse, these two are connected, right? You can't have a therefore unless there's something that it's speaking about ahead of it, right? So it's speaking to verse 9. says, therefore, don't, not becoming weary and doing good. As we have op- opportunity, 
Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul is coming very clearly and saying, if you're going to be part of the family of God, you have a responsibility to love your spiritual family like you love your natural blood family. That's the responsibility. That's the responsibility. We are a family of believers. Our family is one of adoption, right? We've been adopted and brought in as sons and daughters of the king. We are now just part of one body, not lots of little personal relationships with Jesus. Although there's, there's a personal relationship with Jesus in the context of one big family, right? And so we have this dynamic going down that, that, that it's not our bloodline, it's our connection, it's our spiritual connection, because the Holy Spirit, right, worked to connect us, meaning that our connection is eternal, because it's forged by the work of the Holy Spirit, therefore it is inseparable, which means this, our spiritual family and how we relate to one another, people sitting right next to you, that you don't even know their name because you did this this morning when they sat down next to you, right? They are with you for eternity, and it is imperative that you take it serious how you relate to them. Because God said, I've made you brothers and sisters. And because it's a spiritual connection, it's actually stronger and more important than your bloodline. That's the picture of marriage. The two shall leave the places that they have been and become one with one another. What God puts together, let not man or human beings separate. God takes two, pulls them out of their bloodline and makes them one and says, what we just created is more important. That's why you leave and cleave. Some of you are really bad at that. You need to leave and cleave to your spouse. So you have this dynamic going down, right? You see it pictured in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Now about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you for yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do all love God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. So I want to look at this, these three things. Number one, or the letter A, love for one another. So it's now about your love for one another. The idea here is this. This is the Greek word for love. The Greek word is Philadelphia. You've all heard of Philadelphia, right? It means the city of brotherly love. That's what we have here. He's coming and saying, now about your Philadelphia, your brotherly and sister, familial, right, family love for one another, you're doing a great job. But the thing that's interesting about this is this reality. This word in the Greek would have only represented bloodline love, as in how you literally love your sibling or how you love your grandma or your aunt or your mom or your dad, right? The, the Greek understanding was it was only a word describe, describing the bloodline family unit, natural family units. But Paul, man, he just rips it out of its context and puts a spiritual meaning behind it and says, hey, your Philadelphia, your, blood, your spiritual line connection, you're doing a great job of loving one another. So what we find here is Paul coming and encouraging them in the context of their family 
their spiritual family, their spiritual brothers and sisters, to love them completely and fully, right? Doing good works among them. Our love is not, listen, when we talk about our love for one another, it's not some passive disposition of fondness towards one another, but manifests itself in overt acts of kindness toward the family. What I am willing, listen, what I am willing to do for my natural family, I must also do for my spiritual family that I've been adopted into. There is no Jesus in me or Jesus, my wife in me or Jesus, my wife, my kids in me and my dog. No, there's none of that. Sorry. When you give your life to Jesus, you become all of you. Now, yes, we have a responsibility for our family. Yes, I but you track it, please track with me. Don't go black and white on me. I'm simply making a point here. It's both and. It cannot be either or. That's the point. It's a both and. So we have love for one another. To Philadelphia. Do you Philadelphia me? Do you love me like you love your brother? Do you love me like you love your sister? Do you love me like you love your family? And Jesus goes on, Paul goes on in the second part. Love one another. For yourselves have been taught by God. Now that phrase, taught by God, is very interesting because this is the only place in all the Bible you find this phrase. Taught by God does not refer to some single teaching in Scripture that they're referring to or some moment where Jesus came and brought a teaching or the moment where Paul brought some sort of prophetic revelation to the churches and shared something with them. No, it's literally describing a divine relationship with the indwelling Spirit of God. Basically, you know when your children do what they're supposed to do without you having to tell them? That's what it's talking about, right? The other day, Anna Catherine came home and she was talking to me about being at school. And she said, hey, she had the big fight at school today between so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm like, no, tell me all about it, right? Well, right, she sits down and she's like, this guy over here, like this guy over here, he had like four of his friends. And they were saying all these really mean things to him and they were getting this big fight and I said, How did, does that make you feel weird? She goes, no, it just made me mad. She said, because if I had been standing there, I'd gone up to those five and says, back off and leave them alone. I'd have broken it up. I was like, that's my girl. All right? Because in the moment, I didn't tell her to do that. We didn't tell her to do that. You know what happened? The Spirit of God, the Spirit of justice, welled up inside of her and said, wrongdoing against that. Jesus, well, listen, if she had done that and gotten in trouble, you know what I said? Good job, babe. Because Jesus would have stood up for him too. When something taught by God, wells up inside of your spirit, man, right? There's the spirit coming, like, you know what to do, right? And so what is happening here is Paul's saying, you're being taught, you're being led, right? You're being led to do this, but the spirit of God, I don't want to teach you anything. It's just welling up inside of you, you're listening and you're obeying. That's what we see in John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I've said to you. And so you have this idea of loving one another, brotherly love. We're called to that and being adopted into the sons and daughters of this family of God. We need to be allowing God's spirit to continually teach us, convict us. And the third thing is we need to do so more and more. That's what it says right here, right? It says, and in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. 
the idea of doing it, doing so more and more is really simple. You have room for growth, right? Like if you think that someone's awesome at loving well, they can grow. But isn't that the nature of humanity, that we are never completely satisfied unless we're actually moving forward and growing? Like when we become stagnant, we begin to not we dislike life. Some of you are in jobs, you feel stagnant. You're like, I just got to get out. Why? Because God placed inside of you this longing to always be moving forward for greater things. Like he put that desire inside of you for more. And so you have this whole dynamic going down, right? Do so more and more and more, right? This verse makes it very clear that we are called to continual growth of loving our brothers and sisters well. We're called to this. It's the challenge that he has in our life. Uh, Graham and Sarah King, they're part of Vintage. And they, and a lot of you know them. He's the guy with the really cool uh, Scottish accent, right? They, several, about, I don't know, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, uh, Cy and Lane Bagwell, who are now in India, decided that like, they were going to kind of make it known they wanted to go. And so Graham and Sarah said, hey, we're going to we're going to begin doing this dinner at our house. And the primary purpose for doing it is we want to bring people together and we want to begin to do, to, to do life together, eat dinner. And then we're just going to pray and for you and talk. And, and in time, it kind of just morphed into this organic family atmosphere where it's kind of anyone who wanted to come would just show up on Sunday night and bring a dish. And they would just sit around and sometimes they would pray, sometimes they would laugh, sometimes they would play games. They just kind of hang out and do life together, right? And we began to talk as a staff saying, my gosh, this, this is the example of what we would like to begin to see organically happening at Vintage. Because I'll be completely honest with you, it becomes really, really tiresome and burdensome to have to, have to like figure out how to put all of you in small groups and put people and personalities together and all this kind of stuff, make sure that somebody has a friend in their group, right? It becomes very tiresome and burdensome because of job. Now, we'll do it. But we would prefer that you say, I actually have my small group. We've been meeting for the last three years organically. We just, you didn't know about it. But, yeah, we've been doing life together. And so I want you just to watch this video of Sarah and Graham. And I want this to begin to maybe awaken us to this reality of what God wants to do in us and in you with family at Vintage. Thank you. 
Yeah, the picture we have at Vintage, and this is one of the things, is that one of the, the pillars of who we are is that we, we want to be family. See, we use the language living inward, right? Kind of the idea of, of encouraging, of loving, and of blessing. That's why people leave Vintage. It hurts so bad because we see them as family, right? And so for us, we would say this, that we are committed to doing family well, but we know that we aren't perfect. And that we want to work hard to put people into family, but we know that it's difficult sometimes that we're not perfect at that either. We truly want to love one another and and truly live inward, but we're not perfect at it. But one of the things that I would ask you to do for one another is this. One of the great tensions that I hear from people is that they say this, we just want to be part of a family. And what they mean by that is they want to come in and they want us to put them into family. And, that's, that's, and I understand that. But one of the things I want to begin to challenge you in the nature of our lives when we're talking to people who say, well, they did not put me into family is, I want you to challenge them to say, well, how did you put others into your family? That's the idea, right? Is that we often like, do this for me, do this for me, and that's level of selfishness. But the true nature of how God responded is that he put the lonely into families himself. And the dynamic for us at Vintage we want to shift into is not me, 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 and looking and getting offended, but saying, I'm going to fight to put others into family. Because there is a drastic dynamic shift when that happens, isn't there? When I move from selfish to selfless, something about Jesus explodes onto the scene. See, this moment is what happened with Graham and Sarah. Listen, they have kids, they have jobs, but they have given every, almost every Sunday night for, for the last year to the family of God to come and to be in relationship with one another. And what I'm getting at for us is this. It's imperative that it's the church here that we begin to dive into this dynamic. And I would say that it begins by number one, going back to the beginning of this morning. Do you know what it's like to be adopted as a son or daughter into the family of God? Do you know what it's like to be put into a family by God? Do you know what it's like to live in the the rest and the peace and the happiness and the affection of being placed into a family. Because when you are, 
This should compel us then to fight for others who feel as if they are not part of a family. And that we give our lives to them. We give our lives to bringing them into our family. The idea in church of of belonging before you believe, right? That I meet someone on the street and like, hey, you're part of my family immediately. Because I love you. You're here. You have needs, whatever it may be. And I want to say this. If we're going to truly be, listen, if you want to see revival happen, then you have to embrace this. If you want to see breakthrough in your life, you have to embrace this. How many of you know Jonah struggled? Not Jonah, wasn't it? Job. Job struggled until the very end. He says, then he began to pray for his friends. Remember that? He complained, he complained, he complained. Nothing happened. He prayed for his friends, and the Spirit of God broke out. So there's something that happens when we begin to give our lives to bring others in. And we bring them to this place of understanding the adoption as sons and daughters of God. The call of Jesus for us is very simple. To be family. To make, and it's going to cost us time, like Graham said, time, money, energy, resources. But the reward, the reward is unlimited. This morning, as we end our time, we want to, sac- we want to recognize those who sacrifice so much for us, which are our mothers, our spiritual moms, this, this nature, the spiritual, the spiritual heart, a mother heart of God through us, through our women, right? And as we end our time, I want us to recognize, just even for a moment, how, how we have been loved in our lives in this way. And I want to then pray, if I want to take some, uh, a moment, I want, to just, I want to share this thought process regarding mothers this morning. It's actually a letter written from a, a woman to a pastor about Mother's Day. And her whole part is saying, Mother's Day can be hard sometimes for women. And she said, if I were you, pastors, I would say something like this. So I decided, rather than me making my own words, let me just say what she said. So here we go. To those who give birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains and other things, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods, tears and disappointment, we walk with you. We ask you to forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder for you than it already is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and for spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and you're mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned loving, uh, lavishly loving on grandchildren, if that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have empty your nest in the upcoming year, 
we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you, for mothering is not for the faint of heart. You are our real warriors in our midst, and we remember you. Mothers, I want to pray that describes you in any way, or I want to pray for you this morning. Father, as we come into this moment, we praise you that you place us in your family. God, I pray for these women this morning who are represented by this, that God, you would meet them this morning where they are, whether in their places of joy or their places of brokenness, in their places of confusion or understanding, God, the places of fear and anxiety or the places of confidence and trust. Lord, I pray this morning for each of them that, Father, you first would open their eyes to the nature of their adoption as daughters of the King. They would, in the moment, God, they would experience your joy. They'd experience the happiness and the peace and the affection that you have for them. God, I pray you would help them to express that back to you in fullness. But I pray today, Jesus, that you would help them to continue expressing for us more and more what it's like to love one another. And God, this morning we pray for them that you would meet them at their deepest point of need. Those, God, who are who are thriving in life, for you would meet them and do more. God, those who are going through divorce, I pray that you would bless them this morning. God, I pray this morning, Jesus, against this feeling of being alone. God, they are not alone. You are with them. God, those who are struggling with children or the lack of children, God, I pray that you would bless them this morning. God, above all, I pray, Jesus, where they may feel misunderstood by everyone in the world, God, may they be fully understood by you and feel that, God. God, we just speak blessing upon each person here this morning. God, as we talk about mothers, we talk about family. God, I pray, Jesus, that the things that we don't know about you, that you want us to know, I pray that you would make it where we can. Awaken us this morning. Because, God, we know it breaks your heart. And we don't know how you feel about us. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your suffering. God, it speaks volumes about the fullness of how much you love us. Make it alive to us this morning, Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. This morning.